Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Let me start that over. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special guest. Ginny Upal is a Harvard Business School alumni, speaker, business growth strategist, and author. Her new book, In Action, Rethinking the Path to Results, just came out last year, and she's here to talk about business, entrepreneurship, and of course, how the rise of hustle culture is responsible for our current levels of burnout, and why reflective thinking and strategic inaction is a better and healthier path to success. Ginny has spent her career in leadership roles at major companies like Kohl's, Macy's, and IBM, and believes that determining when to lean in and when to let go is the key to keeping burnout at bay. Unblocking creative inspiration and allowing the workforce to achieve even their most ambitious goals. Ginny, welcome to the show. It's wonderful to be here, lads. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I love your background. And so speaking of that, before we kind of get into exactly what you do and everything surrounding your book, I'm so interested to learn about some of the things within it. Um, tell us how you got into entrepreneurship and business. You know, did you grow up in a family of entrepreneurs? Was it quite the opposite? What led you here? My family background, uh, I'm originally from Mumbai. And in Mumbai, you know, back then, 80s and 90s, you either had your own business as a man, or if you were a woman, you got married, ideally to a businessman. Uh, and I come from a family where having a job was kind of considered uh, not that great of a career option. That's my background. But as a woman, having a career was also unusual. So I consider myself one of the luckiest ones where I, my parents who passed away many years ago, they actually supported higher education for women, their daughters. And so I moved here for grad school. I've predominantly had a corporate background. So I've worked for large companies as you pointed out. But my background is technology, which means I've always worked with startups innovative ideas. And I was very often the one to bring technology and disruptive ideas into a very large company. So I was an entrepreneur before that term became popular. Mm. Uh, and now with this book, nowadays, you know, the term of entrepreneur has come about. As a first-time author, the book is a product that I launched. So learning how not, not just to write, but publish, but market, it's been an interesting journey. I love that new term. I, I honestly have never heard that, but I'm going to pass it on to uh, my business partner because he, he created a book too. And we, we've been thinking about doing a book here too, Authorpreneur. I love that. Um, well, let's get, into, let's get into everything hustle culture related. I thought that was such an interesting topic that you have. And man, are you, you really, I, I hope this uh, episode hits a nerve with people because we, we do have a lot of millennials, even some Gen Z that listens to this. And, and I see the social media posts too of like, you know, hashtag hustle, hashtag hustle culture or, or whatever. And, and so you're, it sounds like, and I could be wrong here, that maybe your ideas are going counter to that, which I think is great. Um, so why don't you tell us everything about what, what you think hustle culture is and then how it's, how it's evolved to become the norm among uh, younger professionals, like I described Right. Hustle culture, the phrase, is relatively new the last, say, 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. The concept of hustling or schlepping or, you know, doing what you have to do. I want to distinguish between pulling your weight, you know, having to work hard because you got to get this project out versus hustle culture, which is a lifestyle of doing that all the time. 
for months and years and you mm-hmm. are trapped in this lifestyle because you started off thinking, oh, I just got to have, you know, gig, gig economy came about 10 years ago. If I were to just work hard the next couple of years, multiple gigs, I'll be financially independent. That was the promise of hustle culture 10 years ago. And millennials especially really drove, in droves, they went mm-hmm. for it, right? A new class of social media influencers came about. They started talking about their multiple gigs and how they work 80 hours. And it became glamorous. It got glorified. So, of course, the younger ones are like, this is how to be affluent and independent. Yeah. It's just that the promise of hustle culture hasn't paid out. What has happened instead is uh, people have realized this is not sustainable. It has led to fatigue and burnout. People started giving up on sleep and rest. They started, you know, taking prescriptive stimulants in mm. the report research that people aged between 20 and 39 were the largest growing segment for prescriptive stimulants, Adderall and what have you. The pandemic, as unfortunate as it was, has served as a wake up call that this lifestyle that people have been living for 10 years is not, is not sustainable. And my book is, is just timely that people are now willing to listen to this message. Had I put this book out five years ago, I think people would not want to hear that thoughtful pauses is the way to go, right? There would be no appetite. Fortunately, now I believe there is an appetite to listen to this. Yeah, I would agree with you. Yeah, I think I, th- I think you're very timely with this book. It's so interesting. Um, tell, let's, let's talk a little bit, a little bit more about cultural uh, culture. Uh, do you think we have a cultural bias um, for action, especially in the United States, even when it's unnecessary or counterproductive? And why do you think it's maybe um, unnecessary um, that it is unnecessary or counterproductive? In other words, why is it okay to be inactive sometimes? Yeah. In the book, I talk about action bias, which is a pretty well understood bias like many others. It is not a disorder or a mental illness. It is a human tendency to act. It's, we're just wired to take action. We are wired to create causality between action and results. I did this, which is why I got the result. So action biases, there is no problem. It's just our tendency. What happened in the last, again, 10, 20 years is Technology came and disrupted our life. I don't know, in 1950s, I wasn't in this country, but it wasn't that bad because people had the concept of nine to five job, right? They, they weren't hustling like we are now. Mm-hmm. It's just that in the last 10, 20 years, our action bias has gotten worse. We have become convinced that we've simply got to do something all the time to get results, except the, the actual the outcome of that lifestyle is we are not getting the results we want because we are so busy doing. We're not stopping long enough. My book, uh, the title of the book is In Action, Rethinking the Path to Results. So the book is all about getting results. I'm all for being ambitious. What I'm inviting is consider that hustling is not the only way to being successful. If you take a step back, creative ideas come forth. The book is really about creativity and, you know, entrepreneurs, especially, you know, you cannot work long enough to be successful. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that will get you the success, not the schlepping of it. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, it, this might be obvious, but I would just like you to reinforce it or counter it if you, if you would. Is, so do you think there's a, you talked about like now, now, we, now we have this idea of we have to be constantly doing something, right? Is, is there some tie with social media, the rise of social media that, that has maybe, it's either, it's either added to it or exasperated it, or maybe it just went hand in hand. I mean, we're constantly at the, at the behest of 
let's be let's be entertained at all times. So then is the opposite of or not the opposite of that, but the the other the action that goes with it. We constantly have to be doing something. Very much so. Social media eggs us on. You know the term FOMO, fear of missing out, came about again yeah. in the last ten years or so. We have. On the one hand, social media was great because it helped us connect with the world. Discoverability happened because of social media. On the other hand, we're always on. We don't know how to shut down. We don't know how to give our minds a break. Even when we take a break, we're scrolling social media. There is neuroscience research that I quote in the book that talks about how when a mind is engaged, when you're reading or listening to music, your mind is engaged. So when, even when we take a break, we catch up on news thinking this is an easier activity, but your mind is occupied. Whereas there is neuroscience research that talks about parts of the brain that light up when you're actually doing nothing. You're not sleeping, you're not meditating, you're literally staring out into empty space. And when those parts of the brain light up, it connects the dots between all the information you've been collecting and comes up with ideas that you could not have brute force concentrated your way to. So the ideas in the book are very counterintuitive. It's very mm. unnatural for me to say, if I take a step back and think I'll get a better idea, but that is what the book is saying. You don't have to do, you don't have to do everything at once. Give your mind a chance, give yourself a break. You'll come up with better ideas. And of course, take action. The book isn't about sitting around twiddling your thumbs. It is about taking the right action at the right time. Yeah, basically, I think you define it as strategic in action. Can you, can you define that for us? Right. So this is an it was an interesting dilemma for me. The word inaction brings to mind inertia, right? It's laziness, mm -hmm. uh, fear, or being paralyzed. Strategic inaction is my way of saying there are times when you want to leverage inaction as a choice. Even taking incessant action is a sign of fear or insecurity. So there are times when you take a step back and you say either this is not the right action to take or now is not the time to take action. So strategic action is nothing but inaction as a choice. It's a strategy. It's a way of life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you had to, if, if it was one, if, if you were talking to just one listener right now, focusing on them, um, what would you tell them about how you can use reflective thinking and strategic inaction to achieve more by doing less? I mean, it seems counterintuitive, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, especially from the creativity standpoint. Like when your mind is at rest, when you're in the shower, that's when those ideas pop up. Right, right. Uh, that's a great example. A lot of people tell me they get their best ideas when they're in the shower or when they are driving, mm -hmm. which means that their whole system is a little bit more in autopilot. I'll say this to all the entrepreneurs, since I am a new entrepreneur, there is, when you're an entrepreneur, the weight of the world is on your shoulders. There is not, there simply aren't enough hours in the day to do everything you've got to do. And yet the tendency to then work long hours or to work harder is counter. It's actually going to slow you down. As hard as it may sound conceptually, this is something you've got to try to see if it works for you. I, it was hard for me writing the book. I had deadlines. I had, you know, number of words that I had committed. I would get stuck on an idea and I know I got to do, I got to get this out because if I don't get this out, there's a cascading impact on everything else that gets delayed. Hard as it was, I would walk away from the problem or I would stop working at six or seven in the evening and not look at it, not think about it, go for a walk, do something else. I tell you, it's magical the next day. 
some idea comes forth. And it, it, this is something you've got to do it. So I recommend just the more busy you are, the more take 10 minutes out in the day, do nothing and see what happens. Yeah. What could it hurt, right? And, and it doesn't need to be this very long period of time. I, I like that you actually pointed right to 10 minutes. I mean, that can make a huge difference uh, just, just, just doing something like that. So uh, one other thing, um, you know, we, you mentioned COVID and some of the negatives and positives. And one of the big negatives is uh, mental health, uh, right? This isolation that people have been experiencing, just anxiety about, you know, whether, no matter where you're at, on, the, on what side of the political spectrum is it? So is there anything that strategic inaction can do to help with mental health that, that you've noticed or, or noting in your book? People often ask me, what does strategic inaction look like? Like, what are examples? And uh, I sometimes struggle with that question because I, I say, you know, it's more a, a philosophy. If you imbibe, you will come up with ways of strategic inaction. In the world of COVID, I'll tell you what I have been doing. I have become very selective about the news I take in mm-hmm. and how much of the news, because the news is very sensational. It's, to your point, you know, there's no concept of bipartisanship anymore. You kind of have to pick a lane nowadays. And as much as it's tempting to keep up with everything that's going on, all the fights in the world, <laughs> what good is that doing you? What good is that doing me to keep up with it all the time? One example of strategic inaction, talking about mental health and all the anxiety that it produces is cut down on the source of anxiety. And sometimes it is the news. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, one of my favorite quotes is that the, the, the corporate press is the enemy of the people, uh, which is Michael Malice, if anybody knows who that is. But it's the truth. I mean, it just uh, it's a toxifier for your mind. And, and I don't think w- w- focusing on something like that rather than focusing on yourself and what you can control, I think, is really the way to go. Um, so it, how do you believe that behaviors, you know, commonly thought as negative, like like mind wandering? I, I'm one of those people, even procrastination. Um, I, I, I'm not a procrastinator, but I definitely, you know, I have trouble focusing sometimes, um, can actually drive creative thinking. Cause I got to think that with every negative, there's a positive. Right. Right. Um, I, it's like, I have a chapter on each in the book because they have such a strong stigma and it, it was, it took something for me, first of all, to overcome my own biases mm-hmm. against procrastination, against laziness, against mind wandering, so this book was as much me uh, challenging my own deep-rooted beliefs and then finding a way to communicate that to others who have the same beliefs I used to have. I am not a procrastinator. So there are a couple of reasons why people procrastinate. Uh, one is you are truly not motivated. If you now go buy a book about 10 ways to not procrastinate and force yourself to do something, you are intrinsically not motivated you've just committed yourself to something you don't want to do. You've distracted yourself. So one is do not dismiss why you are procrastinating. On the flip, on the other end of the spectrum, people like me, we will, I will never procrastinate. I'll always work extra hard, extra long to make sure I don't fall short. And I find myself doing more than is necessary. Procrastination, and I you know, quote research, uh, dif- difference between active procrastination and passive procrastination. Passive is where you are helpless. It's a different problem to solve. Active procrastination is you are pushing the decision out either because you need more information or because you need more time. It takes courage. We, we operate under deadlines and pressures from our stakeholders. It takes something to say, 
I'm not going to make the decision right now. I need some more time. You negotiate for time. Amazing new information can come forth. That's the advantage of active procrastination is new data comes up to avoid making premature decisions. So I've been drinking the Kool-Aid myself and, yeah. and <laughs> making myself, today is not the day to make this decision. I'll give it another day or another week. Yeah. I don't, for me, what I've, what I've noticed is I, I've learned to let myself be pulled by the universe um, when it's going in positive directions. If I, I know if there's something that's, that I want to do that's going to, be po- that's going to result in a positive outcome, that I just follow that energy. Um, and then that, that alleviates any, you know, in other words, don't, if, if you feel like if there's something you don't want to do, there's something to that, right? And, and maybe there's certain things you need to just cut out of your life entirely um, that, that steer you away from that. I mean, is there anything that we haven't touched base with about, about the book and what's in it that you'd like to talk about, Kenny? The book is a collection of stories and examples, and I interviewed about more than 30 people across the world, different walks of life, investment managers, sports athletes, and whatnot, and business people. What I would like to say, the book is not very prescriptive. On the one hand, it isn't a set of like 10 steps to become, you know, a person mm-hmm. who is a strategic in action. At the same time, there are specific examples from different people and how they leverage it. The fun thing that I, I found in reading the book is you may not identify with everybody's lifestyle, but you'll find somebody whose story kind of resonates with you. And I, I thought that was just my way of saying, I don't have a formula for you, but I have all these stories of people and let that inspire you and ultimately find your own formula to leverage strategic in action. I love it. I love it. I, I, the stories are really interesting. I think that's one of the best way to learn from people. So I really hope everybody who's listened to this will at least consider looking into your book. I just think anything that goes counter to trends, I, I'm a uh, contrarian by nature and it's paid off dividends for me to always look at something from the opposite direction, take that thought process through and, and see if anything pans out of it. I think that's what you're doing with your book because it's so trendy to do this, this uh, hustle culture right now. So bravo. Right. Um, what, one of the last questions I'd like to ask everybody, Ginny, is knowing what you know now, and if you could go back in time when you, when you first started this book, what is one piece of advice you'd give yourself? Things have a way of working out. The more pressure I try to put on myself and the universe to make things work, the more it will work against me. Mm. There is, it's a very distinct philosophy of when to lean in and when to let go. More often than not, I need to let go. That is the advice I need to give myself back then. And even now it's a constant reminder, let go. Yo, I love that. I love that so much. Ginny, if people like what they heard from you today, how and where can they find, follow you, get in touch with you maybe and find the book? I love listening from people. So the best way to get in touch with me is DM me on LinkedIn, Instagram. I'm easy to find. My first and last name, Ginny Opal, uh, is how you find me. You can go to GinnyOpal.com, G-I-N-N-Y-U-P-P-A-L.com. And the book is available online, wherever you buy books. Beautiful. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Ginny. We really appreciated your time. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Lance.